today we have an amazing uh, day lined up for you guys, and I think it's going to be really special. Uh, and uh, before we have Pastor Marcus come and preach, didn't he do an amazing job last night? Yeah. I hope you guys um, had a good time in your small groups, just kind of scratching the sur- uh, surface of what the message was speaking to you. But I think you'll have a lot more to talk about at your next small group. Um, not only do we have Pastor Marcus preaching uh, this morning, but we're going to have uh, one of our volunteer staff. He's going to come up and he's going to share his testimony. Um, and this amazing man of God, I remember him being at an Emmaus retreat. Uh, as a grad student, and man, his face was like, it was like this for about, I don't know, like 75% of the tree was like this. <laughs> like, it wasn't like I'm bored. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I had something else to do. It's like, I'm offended right now at who you are and what you're saying. Like, he was upset. I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit more about it, but uh, yeah, he's the same guy right now that's all jumping up and down and <laughs> lifting up his hands. But needless to say, he has a story to share about how scandalous God's love has been for him in his own personal life. And so um, he's going to share his testimony with you. And, you know, something about sharing testimonies, even though when people come up and they do it with ease, it's really a big deal to open up a part of your life and to share it with a crowd of people who don't know you that well. Um, it's an... It's act of faith. And, you know, like I said last night, we can do it boldly because we carry no shame. Uh, but at the same time, I want you guys to really honor, to really respect and understand um, that sharing your testimony is, you know, not an easy thing to do at times, but uh, designed so that all of you guys can be blessed. Um, in Revelation, there's a passage that goes, the spirit, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is when you hear a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done, that testimony can become like a prophetic word. You know, last night we called two people up to pray and we blessed them specifically. I know some of y'all were like, oh, why was, how come it wasn't me? You know, I wish, man, I'm never the one that gets chosen. You know, well, when you hear someone share their testimony, I want you to kind of see it like a prayer being prayed out. And if you hear any part of that story that resonates with you, The latter part of their story, which is the transformation, that's God speaking directly to you. I can do this. I want to do this. I will do this in your own life. And so I should understand how powerful it is to listen to someone's story, to relate to it, and to believe that power to be in your own life. And so I truly, truly believe that you guys are going to be blessed. Let's give a warm welcome to our brother Todd as he comes up. Okay. I like to walk, so I'm, I've got like an obstacle course up here. Is that okay? If you have your Bibles, open up to James 5. They told me not to preach, actually. No, really, they were like, uh, you can't preach. Don't steal Pastor Marcus's thunder. But I do want to share one verse with you. There are many verses that you could draw from my life. Um, And I think that's the case with all of us, actually. You know, the the, the scripture actually validates itself. If you guys didn't know. 
But um, verse 16, James 5, 16, it says... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm going to say a brief prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Jesus, you said where two or more are gathered in your name, you would be amongst their midst. And so, Jesus... We are here for you. We are gathered in your name. And so, Lord, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room right now. Jesus, I welcome you. I give you the seat of honor. This is your testimony, Father. This is your testimony, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work through the room right now. Come and have your way. Speak to us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, my name's Todd, and I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. Yeah, okay. That's good. Um, I'm never sure if I have any fellow Texans in the crowd. Yeah, okay. There, yeah. Howdy. Um, Like Pastor Aaron mentioned, I... uh, I, I have uh, quite the history. This is actually, I calculated the other night, this is my sixth Emmaus retreat. But the very first one, I came as a student, a very disgruntled, upset, broken, angry student. And um, I was judging them hardcore the whole time I was here. <laughs> it's like, y'all are crazy. I don't know if I want you crazy or not. Um, but uh, that was back in 2010. So it was only three years ago. And it's hard for me to really fathom all that the Lord has done in my life in the past three years. It's hard for me to really even come to grips with what he did in a short span of two months back in 2010, and that's really what I want to highlight for you today. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I grew up in a very loving home with some of the most amazing parents I think God ever made. Um, My parents loved me to death. They did their best to... um, raised me in the right way. They were Christians. They are Christians. My dad is still a deacon in the church. Uh, My mom was the leader of pretty much every children's ministry I was ever a part of. (laughs) So I went to VBS, and there was my mom. And right next to me were my three other siblings, because I'm I'm the oldest of four. Um, I was telling my small group uh, earlier, like, I was, uh, it was a small church, small southern church. Baptist Church, so um, we had an organ and a key and a piano, and uh, we sang hymns that ranged about 100 to 150 years old. Um, one time we had a, a guest worship minister come in, and he had long hair, and he played the guitar, and that was scandalous. He, he started breaking out songs from the 1980s, and we just did not know what to do with ourselves. So, <laughs> but... The word of God was held in high esteem, and so I was uh, lovingly encouraged, that means forced, to learn a lot of scripture (laughs) growing up. I memorized a lot of things. My parents used to, like, put it on the bathroom wind uh, mirror so that every morning I would have to, like, read the verse and try to memorize it. Um, I did the Bible drill. You're looking at the former Texas State Bible drill champion. (laughs) Um... 
So if you need to know where books of the Bible are, I can turn there in three seconds or less. <laughs> Why that's important, I have no idea. It's like, Zechariah. <laughs> so really, literally, that's what we did. It's like um, all, kinds of, all kinds of exciting Bible Olympiad, all kinds of great stuff. Um, yeah, so I had uh, I had a I had a you know I had a good childhood. I had um, I had great parents, and um, they were not afraid to spare the staff. I mean, let me tell you that too. They 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 <laughs> that means they spanked me and they they disciplined me. Sorry, um, they yeah they did their best to like I said raise me in in what they thought was right. Um, but as as great as they were, um, I didn't feel really connected to them. It was hard for me to feel connected to them, especially my father. And um, so I'm from Texas, and it, uh, there's a little bit... Y'all got a lot of... Y'all. Y'all, <laughs> y'all got a lot of stereotypes about Texas, I'm sure, right? We don't actually ride horses to work, believe it or not. <laughs> but my family does own a lot of guns and hunting rifles, mind you. Yeah, so... My family's, like, favorite pastime is to go out and bird hunt, particularly duck hunt. And, um, and so I'm the, I'm the oldest of four, right? And I'm also the oldest grandchild out of um, all of my cousins and whatnot. And so when I was born, that was, like, a really big deal. And my family was really excited. And my grandfather, actually, when I was born, he gave me a rifle. <laughs> now, what an infant needs with a, a rifle, I have no clue, but... That was his way of welcoming me into the family. And um, that just shows you something about how important, though, this was to my family. And uh, so by the time I was, like, four and five, I was actually out hunting with my, my dad. And uh, that was a little traumatic, to say the least. Like, I was like, Dad, it's cold, and it's scary, and your gun's really loud. And he's just like, shh, you're going to scare the birds away. And so I, I didn't take to hunting. I didn't take to fishing. I was like, uh, I was kind of nerdy, maybe a lot nerdy. And I was very happy sitting at home reading the encyclopedia. No joke. Like, I liked classical music. My parents would listen, you know, to like country. I, they wanted to go out and, and fish and hunt. I would much rather, you know, go see the, the Dallas Symphony Orchestra or something. And so I, because I didn't, participate in like these family activities um i didn't feel like i really belongs because all my other siblings got it even my sisters <laughs> i have two younger sisters even my sisters didn't reject this like they went they were more excited about hunting and fishing than i was and then my little my little brother too um actually some of y'all met my little brother he came and visited korea last year and uh he's a true texan like Big belt, belt buckle, cowboy boots, cowboy hat. He's got the draw, everything. Um, but I just, it just didn't take for me. It didn't, it's not what I, I felt like was me, and that's not what I really wanted. And so, um, to be honest with you, I felt a little like, you know, like the black sheep of my family. Um, and not to mention, at the same time, you know, I, I looked at my parents, and um, I saw how much they... They wanted to include me, but I just, I just didn't feel like I could be included. I just didn't feel connected to them. Um, I also saw their, how, how good they were. I saw how, uh, you know, how righteous they were. Thank you. Um, 
<laughs> they're like waving me at the back. Uh, and I, I just, I, I felt like uh, it was, um, it was a standard I could never live up to. Like no matter what I did, whether it was in like activities like hunting, fishing, whatever, or even if it was just in, in the way that I led my life, I felt like it wasn't enough. Like I was, I was never going to live up to what they wanted me to be. I was, I was never going to be able to live up to um, the, the standard they had set for my life. So that, I, I explain all of that just to say that um, I, I grew up with a feeling of, of being disconnected from, um, from my family, especially my father. And that really opened up the door for a, a lot of the things that I later, happen, later happened in my life. Um, I was about to get real mad awkward, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, scandalous. Turn to your other neighbor and be like, is it hot in here? Because I'm a little uncomfortable. Okay. So, um, when I was 13, I, uh, I took a trip to Washington, D.C. I got to pick this trip. And so, of course, being the nerd that I was, I wanted to go to Washington, D.C. because I loved American history. And um, I just wanted to go to Washington, D.C. And so I went to Washington, D.C., and it was in Washington, D.C. that um, a man exposed himself to me and started masturbating in front of me. And um, at the time, I was 13. I, I barely knew about the birds and the bees, okay? I barely knew anything about sexuality. I barely knew... I had no sexual experience by that time, and um, I w- it was pretty traumatic, and I didn't really know how to process it, but being afraid and, again, feeling distant from my parents, um, I hid it. I didn't tell anybody. I thought that was the best way to deal with it because I felt responsible. I felt like, oh, I had done something to deserve this. I had done something to welcome this into my life. Because that was kind of honestly the theology that I'd picked up in, in the church that I grew up in, honestly, was that, oh, sin's a result of man's choice. And um, that's not totally false, but it's also not totally true. It's not the full truth. And because what that man did was not my fault, it wasn't my responsibility. But because of the distance I felt um, in my, in my, with my parents, I didn't tell anybody. But that was the worst thing I could have done. Because all that did was sow a lot of uh, deep self-hatred, a lot of problems with my, my uh, self-image, and all kinds of confusion in my sexuality. Um, so shortly after that happened, um, I started masturbating myself. I started looking at pornography. Um, and... and and different people have different experiences with this, but um, I think mine was was pretty extreme. Uh, it was a daily, if not multiple times a day kind of occurrence. It's something that I could not live without. It was an addiction. And, you know, um, our bodies are wired. God actually created our bodies in such a way that chemicals are released. Like, your body produces chemicals, endorphins and whatnot. Some of you know more about this than I do. When the, that's when we engage in, in sexual activity. And so it was a true chemical addiction, to be honest with you. Just like people that go out and do drugs. It was a chemical addiction, and it's something that I felt like I needed to live. Um, so this continues to go on all through middle school and high school. I don't tell anybody. I, don't, I hide it from my parents. 
I sneak around. I don't, I don't let anybody know just how much this is gripping me and how much it's killing me. Because I felt distant before, but now I feel light years away from everybody. Because if I felt like they couldn't fully embrace me before, they definitely weren't going to be able to embrace me now. Then when I, when I was 18, I went to New York City. Um, this is on my, my 18th birthday. Both trips, actually, were in celebration of my birthday, ironically enough. And um, my 18th birthday, it happens again. I'm in a bathroom, and a man this time tries to molest me. Uh, he exposes himself, and he tries to molest me. And, and uh, by this point, um, I'm just thinking, like, something's not right with me. I'm thinking, like, oh, I guess it, you know, it takes one to know one. Maybe, like, there's something about me that these men are seeing. And, and so I began to question my sexual identity. I began to think that, you know, perhaps I'm gay. Maybe, um, maybe this is just who I am. Maybe this is just my identity. Maybe I, uh, you know, and, and this, to be honest, was, was really freaky. Not only the experience itself, um, which, again, of course, I didn't tell anybody, um, but the, f- the thought, like, what if I'm gay? Like, my parents definitely are not going to accept that. And the pervasive thought in America right now, and I'm sure most of you know this, is that homosexuality is a biological condition. It's a genetic condition. It's not something that you can change. That's what most people in the United States believe. That's what most scientists, if you ask them, would say. It's not something that you choose. It's not a hat that you wear. It's just how you're born. And that's why um, it's such a sensitive topic when people talk about it, is that when I, if you question somebody's sexual identity, you're questioning everything about them, you know? And um, here I am, and I'm like, if this is me, I don't think I can ever change this. Do I have to live with this forever? Do I have to hide this forever? So um, I continue just to slide into greater and greater uh, addictions to lust and and pornography, masturbation. Um, Then I start dating this girl um, in high school and all through college. And uh, she was really sweet. Uh, She was a really nice person. I thought I loved her. I say thought. I said that I loved her a lot, and she said that she loved me a lot. But love is patient. It waits. We did not wait. And so um, we had a very inappropriate sexual relationship. And eventually, I proposed to her. In 2007, um, I, uh, I flew her out to Paris. And I, I know. Um, <laughs> this is what happens whenever the, your, your university gives you $6,000 just to... Here, here's six thousand dollars. I was like, okay. So I flew my girlfriend out to Paris. I was studying um, in Europe that summer, and I proposed to her. I don't know if anybody you've been to Paris, but at the at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, she said yes. Um, we had a wonderful time um, laying on the beach in Nice, in the Mediterranean. We came back to America and immediately began to fight. <laughs> And it was just downhill from there. Eventually, we broke up. So we were engaged for about six months. Then we broke up. Um, this was my senior year, senior year of, of college. We break up. I also don't graduate on time. 
the research project that I've been working on in Europe falls through. Um, this is 2008, and I, I hit rock bottom. Because by this point, not only am I carrying the weight of, 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 uh, of an identity that um, I'm hiding from everybody, but I'm also now carrying the public shame and ridicule of a failed engagement, not succeeding in the goals that I set for myself <coughs> academically, which is where I placed a lot of my self-worth. Oh, oh, yeah, the rest of my life is crap, but at least my academic success, that'll save me, yeah. right? Like, oh, I have these, you know, I've got all these accolades. I've got all these opportunities. Again, they, you know, my university, literally, they gave me $6,000 just to go and study. And they said, use it however you want. I thought, oh, this is my chance. But even that th fell through. And so in a very depressed and broken state, I, I just made the decision, I need to get away. And so I came to Korea. I came to Korea. I have no idea why I came to Korea. <laughs> No idea why I came to Korea. I can look back on, in hindsight, of course, and say that it was, it was totally God. But um, at that point, I just wanted to get as many miles between me and Dallas, Texas, as I could. But you can't run from your problems, right? Because they're yours. <laughs> they're your problems. So I show up in Korea, and guess what? I'm the same person. The only difference is I don't know a soul in Asia, and I'm totally alone in this land where I don't speak a word. I didn't even know Anyang Haseo when I got on the plane. So I'm wandering around, and, and I, I, I'm, I remember my upbringing, though, of course, and I, I'm like, okay, i got to get into church. i got to try to do this thing. And so I, I, I start this struggle to try to get my life back on track. My, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't suicidal at this point. I don't want to, like, overstate it. But um, I was so broken, and all my dreams had been so dashed, and so just, I felt like, removed from my life that I thought death was better. I was 22 years old, and I had nothing to live for. Nothing to live for. I was like, well, my career success, that's gone. Who wants to marry the guy that is secretly s struggling with homosexuality, but also has a failed engagement on, it, on, his, on his record. Who wants to marry that? Who wants to be friends and, you know, tight friends with a guy that, you know, can't share anything because he's so broken, can't open up, can't, you know, can't really let you into his life. So I came to, I'm in Korea. I, I start, I'm living in Daejeon, actually, at the time, um, not Seoul. And I, I start going to this English ministry, and the Lord starts to, to start bring a little bit of, of, of reconciliation in my life. Um, but I still have this roller coaster ride with lust. And, you know, I felt like um, if I had a good day, meaning I had a pure day, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't screw up that day, um, I was, like, really holy. I was like, oh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. God, God is pleased with me. God, you know, God looks at me with favor. But then, you know, the next day, I might screw up, and then I'd just be down in the pit again. And I, I just feel like, you know, crap. And then I'd maybe string two or three days together and be like, God, look at this. Look at what I've done. You know, it's so good. But then, you know, I'd screw up one day and just feel like, oh, I was all for nothing. And what I was really trying to do is achieve my salvation through self-righteousness, right? I was trying to earn it. I was like, God, look at this. Look at what I've done. Isn't that good for you? And that's not how it works, you know? So... I'm in this roller coaster relationship, and then um, I'm, I, I'm taking, 
I'm taking a trip to Jeonju, and I'm, I'm, I'm traveling alone, and I, I decide to stay over at Jimjibang. If you don't know what Jimjibang is, I don't want to ruin <laughs> your perception of it, um, but it's a special place. I'll just put it that way. I'm sleeping over in Jimjibang, and a man attempts to molest me again. And uh, don't worry, that does not usually happen in Jimjibang, by the way. I just, don't, I just want to put that out there. But a, ma- a man tries to molest me, and, um, and this time I just gave up. I let him have his way with, with my body. And uh, it, was, it was from a place of, of, just, of just wanting to not fight anymore. I was exhausted. I didn't want to fight this anymore. I thought, I can't fight these feelings. I can't fight this behavior. I can't fight this occurrence. Like, I don't know what else to do. And so I, I literally, I had a moment where I was just like, you know what? If I spend the rest of my life running away from my family and friends back in the States and just living this anonymous life in Asia, so be it. If that's what I have to do. Um... And later, I would go out and seek, seek such experiences from men. And um, it was actually, uh, of course, I, all this time, I didn't tell anybody about what was going on. I didn't let a soul know. I was too terrified. And to be honest, I was too proud still. I was still too proud to admit that I had a problem in my life. But it was in this um, very broken place that I actually came to Emmaus. And uh, after my contract in Daejeon ended, I, uh, I moved to Seoul in 2010, and I, um, I wanted to learn Korean. Again, I'm thinking, if I could be in Korea a while, I might as well learn some of the language. So I, I go to KLI, and it's in KLI that I look in the student handbook, and Emmaus Campus Ministries is listed in the student handbook for KLI. And I'm like... Oh, I'll check this out. This is a good way for me to encounter other Christians and Koreans to practice my Korean with. <laughs> I thought it was a Korean ministry. <laughs> and so, because, so I went and I expected a bunch of like Korean people and it was not that, of course. And it was a bunch of Korean Americans is actually what it was at that time. And um, I was pretty weirded out. Um, one, I was older than most people because I'd already graduated from college and whatnot. Two, um, I was like the only white dude at that time. Um, actually, the only white person. Sorry. They're, they're waving at me because I'm over time. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, then, um, Jamie Lee, I don't know if any of you all know Jamie Lee, but she was just relentless. And she just she was like, you have to come out to the Mays retreat. You got to come. You got to come. You got to come. And I was like, ah, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I was like, okay, fine. Fine. I'll, I'll come. I'll come. And I, I remember when I was here, it was actually the same place right here. Um, I didn't know really what to do because um, I thought I knew Jesus. You know, the Jesus that I grew up with in Sunday school and, and whatnot, they, uh, th- that guy, you know, he seemed powerless against all the things that I was experiencing. But the Jesus that Emmaus talked about, nothing was impossible for him. And so I just looked at them worship, and I looked at how joyful they were all the time. <laughs> I was like, do you not have a bad day? 
like all the time. Haywan's not here. If you guys know Haywan Park, I just looked at Haywan with l- true bewilderment. I was like, "Are you normal? Are you human? Where's the Kool Aid? Why aren't you giving me some too? Because my grid, grid. Sorry, that means like that's that's an American reference, meaning like they're like actually taking drugs on the side, and that's what I really thought. Of. But um, my grid did not allow for Christ to be like this, for Christianity to be like this. Um, and, and to be honest, I didn't have any supernatural experience at that first Emmaus retreat. Um, but it planted seeds in me that bore a lot of fruit later. And so because of the Emmaus retreat, I was like, you know, I don't know. In fact, most of the things that they say up here, I disagree with. I just flat disagree. It's not what I believe. And I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, this, this seems scary. This seems, yeah, just dangerous even. <laughs> dangerous to talk like this. But I was like, you know, I got to give it a shot. Because what if they're right? Yeah. That makes all the difference yeah. if they're right. So I started going out to New Philly. And actually, Pastor John, Pastor John Newfield, the worship leader at New Philly, um, really took me under his wing, and he would answer a lot of my questions that I had about it. And uh, he, he and I just developed this very informal um, relationship where we would meet up occasionally, and he would answer questions and whatnot. And uh, one time, a couple months after the Mayus retreat, in, in, uh, in I think it was July or August of that year, 2008, I just, I just made up my mind. I was like, you know, I'm going to tell John everything. I've never told anybody. But I don't want to live a double life anymore. I don't, want to, I don't want to live a double life anymore, and so I need to tell somebody, and I, I, want to tell, I want to tell Pastor John. And so I invited him. I was actually living with Eugene Lee at the time, and I, I invited him over to our apartment. Eugene wasn't there, but I invited him over to our apartment, and we, I, just, I started at the very beginning. And even though I've talked a long time, it was even longer then. Um, and I, just, I literally, almost to the most grotesque detail, told him everything. And... Um, the whole time, if you know Pastor John, you'll get this, but the whole time he was just looking at me like, <laughs> yes. That's all he said. Yes. And, uh, you know, just giving me these nods of affirmation. And, and by the end of it, I was like, I think this is okay. And then he, and then he had to run away for some reason. He had to, he had to, he had to leave, probably because I talked so long. And... Uh, and he's like, I, I have, I'm just going to pray for you really, really quickly, and then I have to go. But Todd, you know... After I told him all of that, he just said, Todd, I don't see you any differently. Wow. I'm not ashamed of you. If anything, I'm proud of you for sharing. And that really surprised me. I thought he was going to give me like a 12-point step plan to get out of my sin, you know, and to get free from all the things I've done. Because, again, that was my grid for Jesus. My grid for Jesus was like, oh, yeah, he's mighty to save you in the eternal sense, but... Right now, it's up to you. Like, I didn't have a grid that his love endures forever. That means before the time began and after time ends, his love is still there. It means not only when you're dead and in heaven, it means now he's mighty to save. I didn't get that until Pastor John was just like, it's okay. And so he, he prayed a very quick prayer. We actually were standing in the lobby of my, my apartment at this point. It was really awkward because all these people were passing by, and I was just kind of like, and, 
and he was praying over me. He put his you know, hand, on, hand on me. It wasn't supernatural. I did not hear the voice of God. The spirit did not descend upon me like a dove. There were not bells, okay? But from that moment, I was free. I was free. I've been walking in purity for the past three years. That is what Jesus can do. And to be honest with you, whenever I was starting to walk it out, I was, I was in disbelief still. I was like, what, on the, what in the world? What is going on? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But like the verse I shared with you from, from James, all I needed to do was confess. Because the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Yeah. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to approach me later today or whatnot. But um, yeah, thank you for listening.